This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, where Dan Spader of Sun Life led a track called Transforming the Culture of Youth Ministry. Here's today's track session from Sun Life. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everyone? Good. That's it. That's all you got for me. Fantastic. So great to be here. First thing in the morning, I'm on a time zone difference. So it's really uh, 915 for me. So I feel wide awake. So my name is Kelvin, uh, Kelvin Russell. I am from Toronto, Canada. And uh, so I think there's a few Canadians in the building. I think I heard that last night, uh, a couple of guys up on stage. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit on, uh, about integral mission. Mission integral is a a phrase. I'm, anyone Spanish here? Did I butcher that? Did that was that okay? Mission integral. Is that pretty close? Okay, thank you. Muchas gracias, señor. Okay, and it is a phrase uh, that was coined by uh, the Latin American Association on Holistic Mission, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about disciple making and, and holistic mission, and what does that look like. What does that even mean? There was people like Randy Padilla, Samuel Escobar, uh, the late uh, um, Costas, uh, let me just get his, Orlando Costas, and, and later on, John Stott and, and people like Ron Sider, who began to, to wrestle through what does it look like to bring the gospel to people who are in poverty, who are struggling, who are going through difficult times, and is the gospel just a, a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality, and that it's all about, hey, you come to Jesus and you get to go to heaven one day, but your life sucks right now and it's too bad for you, but boy, isn't it going to be awesome on the, in heaven? And, and so they were just wrestling through in their context, in their world, and saying, hey, does the gospel impact our lives here and now? Is there this aspect of the gospel that is, that is now, right, now and not yet? And so they wrestled that through, and they've been uh, leaders uh, around the world globally to figure out what is the gospel, mission integral, integral mission in English. But the idea of, uh, it literally means to bring together or to make whole, that the gospel has something to say to those living in poverty. And for me, we're going to talk a little bit about an urban setting and, and what does youth ministry look like in, in an urban context. So I am an urban missionary in Toronto. Uh, I grew up in uh, government housing in Toronto since I was a little kid. Uh, some of you are asking me where I'm from originally. I'm from Newfoundland, which is the furthermost eastern province. Grew up, uh, sort of born in a little fishing village, 400 people. Uh, crazy environment there of just being in this isolated uh, outport in Newfoundland. And then obviously our family moved to Toronto and there I was raised. But I was in government housing from a little kid. Uh, and Toronto's a little bit different than a lot of American cities in that Toronto generally, uh, we would say, is not necessarily a, uh, a, like a whole section of the city would be inner city or ghetto or, or uh, you know, at risk. So we have what we would say is pockets, pockets of inner city uh, in our neighborhood. So if you came to Toronto, you would be actually potentially walking through one of these at-risk neighborhoods and you wouldn't even know it. You would just go, oh, this is a sort of a cool, it looks a little run down a little bit, but you actually probably don't know it for the most part. Uh, Toronto has what's called 13 high-priority neighborhoods. So Canadian, right? 
we don't want to label it for what it is, like they're at risk, they're, they're challenging. So they're, we just say we're all nice, right? So we go, they're you know, high-priority neighborhoods. But they are, they are communities in the city, and you have communities in, in your cities or towns or sections, if you will, of people living in, in an environment that's at risk or, or, or struggling. So, so that's, our, that's my context. That's my world in terms of what I do in the city of Toronto. So I'm a missionary with Youth for Christ, and a part of my role is I'm the National Director for Sun Life. And uh, we have a booth downstairs, a table downstairs, and some of you were in the last few, ses- few sessions with uh, Doug and, and Dan Spader and, and looking at what does it look like to make disciples the way Jesus did. And we're going to talk about that in an urban context, at risk. And I want to say this up front. Some of you are like, man, I don't live in Toronto. I don't come from a big center. I'm in a small town. I'm here to say that, that youth generally have the potential to be at risk. So we often think of at-risk students as being what? Those in a gang, those who are exposed to violence. But boy, at-risk youth can be someone from a small town, small community because of, what's act- because of bullying, because of self-esteem issues, because of what they're exposed to on the Internet. So don't think of it just as at-risk youth are those urban, in those urban centers, but really it can be the students that you work with or the, the youth in your church. They might be your kids. They might be your grandkids. I'm not sure. So that's a little bit about what we're going to be looking at. So what does it look like to, to make disciples with students or young people who are going through some challenges in their life? Make sense? Okay. But my context, my background, is going to be um, the Toronto context. But here's what I want us to do. So if you have your phones, you're actually going to use your phones throughout this and at the end, you're going to answer this question. Um, once it comes up here, it should be here. So pull up your phones. Go to, if you don't, don't try and get on the Wi-Fi. That may be just a little bit too challenging. So if you could go online, um, use your data if that's okay. Go to menti.com right here. And then plug that. Grab your phone. Go to menti.com. And then put in the code. So this, this workshop is all about me hearing from you. And we're learning from one another of how we actually begin to address some of the issues and needs that our students may have from a holistic perspective. Okay? And so as we do this, you're all good? So put in that code. And then I'm going to get you. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time reading it. Menti.com. M-E-N-T. 513176. And I want you to answer the question for me. Yep, so I'm just going <laughs> to. So there you go. So start putting in your words, and I'm going to tell you what, how this is going to work. This is only the example, so I, I, I'm trying to feel some love from you guys. So, wow. So these are words that you are giving me in the room to describe what you feel a Canadian is. Let me see. Mounties. Non-committal. Who, who, who put that down? <laughs> Polite, cold syrup, hockey. Okay. If you got, if you got a, tickets for tomorrow night's game, I'm all available. Um, nice. A. Who do, actually, so let me describe what this is. So your input is, is creating a wordle a Wordle document. 
And so the most popular words or the most common words used in the room are, are going to be the largest words. So most of you commented A as being how you would identify a Canadian. Did anyone say sorry up there? No, sorry. I'm going to say sorry maybe five times, ten times. Just get that out of your head. I'm going to, I apologize up front that I'm going to say sorry later on, okay? So uh, goose, maple leaves. Wow. Okay, so you get the idea? What's going to happen is when we actually look at some of the urban youth issues and, and disciple-making, uh, I'm going to get you guys to give input. At the end of this workshop, you will get all the data, and an email will come to you. If you want it, you can just sign up, and you'll get all the input from the room. Sound okay? So let me talk to you a little bit about uh, my world, what I get. Now you're thinking, wow, that should be in a magazine somewhere. It's not. It's in uh, Republica Dominicana and Santo Domingo. And uh, these are some of the students that I get to hang out with. So this is me, obviously, there in the middle. Uh, it was great to hear about the millennials last night. Was it Heather? Was that the lady on the right? Heather? Pretty insightful, just spending time with, having commerce. These are young adults. I love this picture. It's one of my favorite pictures of the, of the young adults that I get to work with every day. Um, this is Aftab that I'm leaning on. Aftab is a strict Muslim from Pakistan. And uh, incredible conversations about who Jesus is and, and why I follow Jesus. And, and uh, So next to him over here is, her name is Tivia, and she's from Sri Lanka. And a Hindu, pretty incredible. The girl in the red there, her name is Becky. She had just spent two years in the Israeli army as a Jewish young lady doing her service. Um, and then we have uh, Justine from the Philippines. The girl to her right, our right rather, is uh, her name is Gaye Pinto. So that's her nickname. He's saying, what? That's her name? Gaye Pinto from Nicaragua and uh, Dwayne from Singapore. And so this is if you were to come to Toronto and hang out with us and our students and our student ministry, this is what it would look like on many nights. Uh, it's, it's mixed. The other gal there is from, from Panama. Uh, many born in other places of the world, emigrating to Canada, and then they land in Toronto. Uh, it's the center and the hub of our, of our city, so, of our country. So this is a recent trip of some of our high school students. High school students. Love it. It's my boy, uh, the short kid up here, C14 on his shirt. It's just about this tall, a little bit Doug's height over there. And, um, but these are our students that we get to spend time with and uh, begin to make disciples of. And uh, I, I like Michael here. He's, he's the white kid sitting in the back there. He goes, Calvin, I want to be in chair four. And we'll talk to you a little bit about that in a minute. He goes, I'm in chair three, but help me to get to chair four. I really want... And just using that language, and, and we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit for you if you haven't been a part of the other sessions. So that's our students. Here is... Uh, what was that picture? Well, you're going to see all the pictures of me uh, near the ocean. So we're going to talk a little bit. It's in the Republica Dominicana, Dominican Republic. And um, so we'll tell you a little bit about why that is in a moment. But this is Ramia. She was a Hindu a young person, came to Christ. This is at her baptism in the spring. Pretty cool. She just shared at our Youth for Christ banquet, 1,200 people. She stood up in front of everyone uh, last week, literally last week, and said, the greatest joy of my life 
is following Jesus. And then she started quoting scripture and I'm like crying. And, you know, it was pretty powerful. Like when we, when we begin to engage with young people, they, they follow and they follow Jesus. It's so cool when they make these decisions. Then we have Kendra here, her baptism. Uh, awesome story about her. Ramia, uh, sorry, not Ramia. This is uh, Kirushanthan, another Hindu young man who came to faith uh, last year. And you know what? He started a website or a YouTube channel on people coming out of different religious backgrounds and now they're following Jesus and, what, and sharing their story. And I'm like, <laughs> high-fiving the guy. That's pretty cool. So that just came live uh, like a week or two ago. By the way, this is one of our students, and, and I believe so much, not just me as the pastor, if you will, or missionary doing the baptisms. She was a big part of his, his journey. We're there together baptizing, so it's really cool. But here's the, here's the picture that I want to camp on for a second. This, again, in the Dominican Republic, all our cool shots are in the Dominican, um, but really they're all our students that we're with all the time. This picture, out of all of them, is most troubling for me. Not because my son is in it again and he has that massive beard that I wish I could grow. Um, But there's some at-risk students here. Probably some of the most at-risk students that we've ever worked with. And as I look at this picture, and the pose is called the Chicago pose, so you don't smile, you look off in the distance and look like you're contemplating. And these two in the front didn't get it right, but they, they, they look cool too. And so there they are. They are, they're just... Behind some of those smiles and some of those looks, there's deep brokenness. There's deep hurt. And I want you to think about not just the students in my picture, but who are the students that you work with or who are some of the students in your church? And how is it, what, what are their stories of brokenness? What are some of the challenges that they're working through? And so one of the, one of the realities for me was so much about how do I, how do I as, a, as an urban missionary, growing up through government housing and 30 years, 30 plus years in youth ministry, uh, only five or six of those not in an urban context. And so how do I make disciples or how does my team, how do we, how do we truly, truly impact them? Because if we're saying that disciple making is for everybody, why is it not, if you will, working or why is it, are, why are we not having that same effect on those urban youth or those youth who are at risk because they have so many challenges, so many difficulties in their life? Well, like, and, it, and it was bothering me. And it was like, wow, we're seeing some really cool success stories. And to be honest with you, I grew up as an inner city kid in government housing. You know, SWAT team came in, took down our house, like, you know, family members sent away, brothers in jail, eight kids. I'm the only one to finish high school like at risk to the max. And so they, they go, oh yeah, there's the cool story of Kelvin. Look at him. Look what he did. He went on to, to become a pastor and he's a missionary now. Oh, look at, and, and I'm like, me? I'm the only one? Like, why isn't there more stories of me or like me? There should be. And so, and so sometimes we just go, oh man, those are trouble kids. We don't need them around. We don't want them. Let's just work with with you know, the few that we have and not worry about those at risk. And I understand and I get that. And when we look at the four chairs, Jesus does call us to invest in a few to impact the many. I get that. And so as we do that, I believe it's an opportunity for us to reach those who are at risk. So think of this picture and substituting it with some of your students, some of the people that you work with. 
And so you've heard us talk a lot about at Sun Life, and the chairs are downstairs and, and the seminars here, you've heard us talk a lot about four-chair discipling and the importance of, of what that looks like. So let me just unpack that for you real quick, and then we're going to tie it all in or tie it all together in terms of urban ministry. But the four chairs is an opportunity is for us to, to engage with, with Jesus and seeing that he is our message, but understanding that he's also our model. He gives us the pattern. He gives us the, the methodology, if you will, of what we do and why we do it. And so when we look at Jesus's life and we, we just really are unpacking it in a way to, to understand it, a metaphor, if you will, of using four chairs. And, for, and so the four chairs are these, that the chair number one, that Jesus began to interact at the beginning of his, of his earthly ministry, what? With those who are lost, basically come and see. Come and see. And so I would say this, that chair one is, is who are those individuals in our youth ministry, in our context, that are lost, that are, don't know Jesus? And so how do we equip our youth to reach those who are lost, but also what does it look like in our programming? And that's the two tiers that I like to, to unpack here. Is one is what does that look like for you and me and our students to care for those who are lost and reach them? And also in our programming. So chair one, Jesus says, come. Basically, come and see. And that's what we want to do. Expose, because people are at different levels of spiritual interest. Different levels of growth. And so Jesus identified that. And chair one is all about coming and seeing. Chair two, once a student, like the Ramias, the Kirishanthans, the Kendras, they say yes to Jesus. Then they slide over, if you will, from chair one into chair two, and now they're a believer. And so we, we're, we're, designing, we're designing our programming. We're helping those to, to grow in their faith. Isn't that important? We want students. We want adults. We want everybody who's made a, said yes to Jesus. We want them to grow in their faith. So that's chair two. The idea of come, follow me. Follow me. The challenge is almost all of what we do, or most churches, tend to focus on chair two get to another Bible study, get to another you know, youth group night, or get to another activity, and it's designed to help them grow. Struggle is, a lot of our ministries, a lot of the people that we engage with, are at different, in different chairs. So we focus everything on chair two, we're missing those in chair one, or maybe those in chair three and four. And so the four chairs, looking at the life of Christ, he says, come and see. Chair two is, is follow me. And then we have chair three which is Jesus invites, after, you know, over two years, after two years of his earthly ministry, he begins to call those, invite those to no longer just come and follow me, but he says, now I'm going to invite you to fish for men. I actually want you to be engaged in reaching those who don't know me. And so he's beginning to equip them so that they are now the workers helping those who are in chair two and in chair one. And then we come to chair four. And chair four is, is really what we're wanting to see, and it should be normative for each one of us in terms of what we do day in and day out in terms of following Jesus, in terms of us being engaged in ministry, and that is that we are to go and bear fruit. And so it's the idea that we are the disciple makers. And I love what I've heard over and over again here, that this, in my mind, this should be normative for each one of us, and it should be where we are discipling others and inviting them and calling them 
to, to they themselves discipling other people. So it's becoming a disciple maker. Here's another way of looking at the four chairs. If you look at this, this, uh, this slide right here, the idea of from unbelief to maturity. And I don't want us to get stuck here on chair two, which is just follow me. And I think sometimes we're just really content when people show up. We're really happy when, when we have a full room. And we go, wow, isn't this great? Look at all these people. They're, they're showing up because we have a great band and we have a great speaker. And in and, and youth ministry, we used to, we used to call this the, the ball effect. So in, in urban ministry, and Doug spoke there at our youth ministry way back in the day in our little gym in, in, in Toronto in, in one of the high-priority neighborhoods where our church was situated. And uh, so what would happen was we would play ball. We'd have basketball. We'd get 100 people out. And our church was like, Calvin, you're a rock star, man. Look at all the youth you got. And, and just because we had a basketball and a couple of hoops, we had 100 youth out. And they were like, you're doing great. And I felt like just, we're just getting people in a room. I don't we're not, I shut down the ball program after a couple of years because I was like, we got a couple of guys who are getting scouted to go to the, the U.S. on a scholarship. And I go, hey, deacons, you know, our elders board, I was like, hey, we're producing good ball players. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, that's awesome. I go, I don't think we're making any disciples at all. And so they were like, you can't shut this program down. Where are they? And I go, I'm just lost if we're just running a ball program. I didn't sign up for this gig to be a basketball guy. I'm a hockey guy, first of all. And secondly, it's just not what I think Jesus is inviting us to do. And so this, the four chairs, is really inviting people to, to, to leave chair one, follow Jesus, and then moving them on to maturity. But I get stuck. I get stuck when I come back to this picture. So I know what I need to do. I know when I look at the life of Jesus, I know that I'm to, to make disciples. Right? Like you're here at the forum and we get that. But I'm stuck here because I know that some of my at-risk students in this picture tell me that I have to smoke weed five times a day to make it through the day. Another one of my... Calvin, my dad's a drug dealer and he's pimping out my mom and... Like, how, how am I going to make it? And so for too long, for too long, what we've done, I think in an urban setting, and I'm not going to throw you all under that bus, but I'll throw me under the bus, and just say for too long we've said, hey, you come to know Jesus and come to another Bible study, and then from that, everything's going to work out okay. And we get that. You encounter the living Christ. He does transform your life. But they were, I, I get the idea of a backpack right here. You know, these youth are, have backpacks. And when they come uh, with their backpacks on and, and they come with, from a poverty, you know, a poverty background or a cycle of poverty or, or, or gangs, or like they're just big, huge lumps of coal or big rocks in their backpack and they're carrying it, you know, on their backs. And, and they've come to faith. They've come to know Jesus. And what happens? That's awesome. But they're still carrying the backpack of gangs, violence, uh, poverty, teen pregnancy, vocation, education. Certain pockets in Toronto, 60% of black youth don't have a father in these, in these high-priority neighborhoods. There's other 
40% in certain neighborhoods, in these high-priority neighborhoods in Toronto, 40% of the black youth are not going to graduate from high school. And we go, just come to another Bible study? <laughs> come. So, we, so it was bothering me, and I was just feeling like we have some great success stories, and I showed you the baptisms, and you're like, oh, Cal, you must be a great youth pastor, or, you know, urban missionary. You're like, this is... No, I could tell you too many stories. And really, this forced me that I'm called to make disciples who make disciples, looking at the pattern of Jesus, the model of Jesus, and seeking to implement it. And our students were, if you will, crossing from chair one into chair two. But that seemed to be where we were at. Like, and where, so how do we accelerate them? How do we help them engage with their particular life issues and move forward to, to becoming disciple-makers as well. And really, it accelerated in my mind when one of my youth looked at a girl wrong and she got, he got shot and killed. I'm like, wow. And then it even accelerated even further than one, one of my youth who taught my boys ball um, in our driveway at our home many times. Someone wronged him and he pulled out a gun. And, and literally, you can Google it, and it's the barbershop murders in Toronto. And he killed a barber in a barbershop while someone's sitting in the chair. And this kid grew up at risk, if you will, through our ball program, but connected to our church for years. And I go, man, like I just feel like, <laughs> I felt like going back to Newfoundland, right? The small town and everything, you know, go back to that environment. And so what happened was, the it forced me uh, about four or five years ago to, to re-examine uh, the disciple-making model from an urban context and, and try and, and go, how do we help those through the four chairs, but they come with a lot of challenges, a lot of baggage. And so then I went back to school. I went to, uh, as I said to you, I'm the only kid in my family out of eight kids to finish high school. So I went back and I did my doctorate at Acadia University in Nova Scotia, Eastern Canada. And it's on urban holistic ministry. And how do we embrace a, a disciple-making pathway, if you will, from an urban context and really engage youth? So here's, here's another question I want you to fill out on your phones. And again, at the end, you can email. If you pop your email in, you'll get all the answers. Go ahead. Answer that question. What are some of the challenges of at-risk youth? And don't think of just urban. I'm thinking of your context as well, your, your particular community. Gangs, parents, parents aren't involved. Poverty, fear, identity issues, drugs, STDs. So, obviously, the the most common thread throughout the room is is suicide, and then gangs. Um, I would guess that many of you are not from large urban centers like Toronto. Toronto's the third largest city in North America. So you get that sense that it's big. And, but a lot of you, I've talked to some of you over breaks and different things. You're from smaller towns. The issues are real. The issue, so how are we going to create, with the, the understanding that we're called to make disciples, how do we create a disciple-making pathway working with urban youth or youth who are at risk? Here's, here's a... I just want you to watch this for real quick.
Cool little video, eh? When I saw that, uh, I guess last year, I was just thinking about maybe how we look at this conversation or have this conversation. Maybe it's just tweaking the focus a little bit of, of working with some of the at-risk youth that we're dealing with or just some of the youth that are in our programs. Because I would suggest that almost all youth are at risk um, or the potential that doorway is open for them to be at risk. And so looking at Jesus and integral mission, and, and really, again, integral mission is a, a holistic or integral mission is based on an understanding that God is concerned for the spiritual and physical well-being of all people. That God is concerned for, for you as a person, Jim, for, for your needs, for your struggles. That God wants you to live a life that is full and whole. And so holistic mission is this idea of embracing coming alongside young people and, and in both word and deed, um, proclamation and presence that really comes from our Filipino brothers who've dealt with this in the Philippines. And the idea of, you know, Ron's side are good news and good works. And so what does that look like in a disciple-making process in terms of impacting young people? Do you know that... 88,000 people every single day are actually uh, displaced and put in an urban slum somewhere globally. 88,000 people every single day. And so when I was reading uh, Slum Life Rising by, by Ash Barker, probably the, one of the most profound books I've read on, on holistic mission, it's his PhD thesis, it's like big book, but it's brilliant because it forces us to address the issue of of proclamation and presence and 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 this whole idea if there's 88,000 people every day in urban slums all over the world being added to urban slums one in seven uh, some say one in six people in the world live in an urban slum and so therefore what does proclamation sharing the gospel mean but what does it also mean to come alongside and share and be the presence of Jesus with people. And so we come to Jesus' words in Mark chapter 12, and we read this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, 
which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other greater commandment than these. This is a common, a common occurrence um, you know, in biblical times where a rabbi, the, the understanding was that you could go to a rabbi or a rabbi would be teaching and, and, and Parker here, let's say he, Parker's our rabbi today, you know, it would not be uncommon for one of the students or, or other religious leaders to come up to Parker, the rabbi, and say, hey, tell me, tell me what's the most important command. And so every rabbi would always respond with what? They would always respond with, right here, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Always. And so what was really unique about this interaction was that if you went up to a particular rabbi, and let's say, Van, is that your name? Van is our other rabbi in the room, and I'd come up to Van and I'd say, Hey, Van, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important commandment in in all the Torah? What would it be? Always, every single rabbi would always respond with the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, which is, love. there's only one God, right? And therefore, love Him with your whole heart. Love the Lord your God. They would always respond that way. But what was unique was they would often want to hear from the Parkers and the Vans, okay, we get that. Every rabbi, we all as Jewish people, by the way, only one of two prayers that had to be prayed every single day in the Jewish culture from the Torah is this one here, the Shema, and the other is prayer actually after a meal. And so they would recite this every morning and every evening. They still do that. And so the Shema was quoted, but what would happen is they would say, Parker, we get that. Well, thank you, Van, thank you for sharing. We all know that you're going to quote Deuteronomy 6. But what they were actually wanting to go in terms of digging a little bit deeper in terms of understanding that particular rabbi's bent was they were asking and, and saying, okay, we get that, what else? And so a rabbi, let's say Parker was really interested in, in family and parents, and, and so I'd say, Rabbi Parker, tell me, what's the, what's the, the great command? What's, what's the commandment? Love the Lord your God, and, and the second is that you need to honor your parents. And so the understanding is then, oh, Parker's really about family and, and honoring mom and dad. Okay, so this is really what Parker's going to be about. Maybe that's his, you know, hot topic of the day, but that's, that's what he wants to focus in on. And then you come to Van and say, Van, hey, tell me, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And you would respond with the Shema, love the Lord your God, and, and, and you know what? Pay the temple tax. Pay the temple tax. That's really important. Okay? And so, oh, this guy's about finances and order. And, and so you get a little glimpse into, into his lifestyle. So when they come to Jesus in Mark chapter 12 here, and they begin to ask him, what's the greatest command? Of course, they know that he's going to respond with Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God. But they were waiting for the next part that he was going to add to it. And what does he do? He goes to Leviticus and he, he amends the Shema here and he adds, love the Lord your God. There's only one God in Israel. Love him with your whole heart. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So the people listening or the interaction that Jesus was actually having was that so Jesus... His, his intent, his ministry, his focus was all about, of obviously, love the Lord your God. There's only one God in Israel and other people. Okay, 
Hmm. You see, and it was brilliant of Jesus because if he would have said, you know, honor your parents and, and the tax over here, that would have opened the door for debate. No, 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 no. I don't think it's the tax. No, no, it's not the parents because, and they would start quoting back and forth. And so by Jesus just saying, hey, it's about loving God, it's about people, and it's about what? Others. It sort of silenced his critics. And they're like, because now how could you argue that the tax is more important than people? How could you argue about, hey, you better get in line and be obedient to your mom and dad? Because Jesus opens the door and says, it's all about God and other people. And so out of my thesis, I began to, to wrestle through this text. And I wish I was smart enough to tell you that, that I thought of this. And it really comes, again, from my Spanish brothers from the Bronx who actually uh, began to wrestle this through in an urban setting in New York City and going, what does it look like to create a holistic ministry that's God-focused and helping other people at risk? And so I took what, what these guys did, uh, Arzola and Rivera out of New York City, and I began to, to unpack it a little bit more and, and, and apply it to my context. And so here's, here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to, to take away with today. The idea that holistic ministry is about creating a disciple-making movement that helps people move from chair one to chair two to chair three to chair four, no matter their background and their setting. When we begin to look at what Jesus actually said. And so the first part here is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, all your strength. And with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the, the first part of this is, is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. So I think on the back I just threw diagrams there. And I did that because when I walked this through with some young people, even on a napkin, I just draw stick figures and hearts. And so I didn't want to make it complex. So this is really designed for people to conceptually get it real quick. And so the idea here is the heart. So when you think of the heart, what I'm just going to suggest, I'm just going to put it out there. You may want to debate what each word means and all that. I get that. But I'm saying here the heart is all about, is all about the spiritual life of a young person. All about the spiritual life. So what is it that we are doing to help young people grow spiritually? What are some of the things that you are doing that is helping people grow spiritually. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Your heart, if you will, often in Scripture is a totality of who you are. We get that. But it's also your passions and, and your love for Jesus. So loving Him, with how are you? And so I want you to answer this question up here. What are you doing to help people love God? Go ahead, pop those in, and then we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit further. Mentoring. The Bible. So I would suggest that this is a lot of what we do in chair two, if you will. How do we just help students engage deeper with Christ, deeper in their walk with Him? And so there's lots of answers here. There's lots of dialogue on terms of, of what this looks like. But we're inviting people to follow Jesus on the disciple-making pathway. It's leaving chair one to chair two and beginning to engage and love Jesus in a, in a, more, in a deeper way. And I want to say, working with like the Kirishanthans and the Ramyas, 
and the Kendras and, and the students who have come out of different religious backgrounds, like they get this way better than some of the kids who grew up in Christian homes because they talk about that I've, my heart has changed. And now that my heart's affections, like I hear Ramya talking, she's like, Jesus is like, like my boyfriend. And I'm like, okay, talk to me about that for a second. And, and she's just like, well, I just love him. Like, I don't know how to explain it. And, and, and part of it is coming out of such a dark environment. And, you know, in Hinduism, 330 million gods <laughs> shifting over to the Shema. There's only one God. And, and Jesus, look what he's done for you. So this is really important. So we're helping kids to grow spiritually. The second piece here is coming up right now. Let me just see if that's stuck. There we go. Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So helping people grow spiritually and with all your soul. And with all your soul. So soul in Scripture is often an indicator of people's emotions, um, what they're feeling. Uh, I love these icons, emojis. What are they called? Emojis? Is that right? Come on, someone help me out here. Emojis? Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I nailed it? Oh, man, you're the best. Okay, I'm sorry if I put you on the spot there. I had to say sorry again there. Um, Yeah, here it is. Like, the youth are going through what? A lot of emotional ups and downs, right? We talk about, I love, again, that lady last night talking about, hey, when a 20-year-old is dealing with stuff, sometimes it's just because they're 20-year-olds, not just because they're millennials. Um, my son's a youth pastor in, in uh, Toronto. It's awesome having a youth pastor live in your house, okay? <laughs> you know, except that every night at 11.30, you know, when he gets home, and I'm ready to go to bed, and he's like, Dad, you got a minute? I love those, Dad, you got a minute moments? Because we want those, right? We want those. It's 11.30 at night, though. I'm like, no, I don't have a minute. Because <laughs> I know your minutes are like an hour. And uh, this week, uh, just the night before I came here, he says, Dad, um, got twin boys, 14 years old. Uh, their dad just committed suicide, and I was with them all night. Uh, what do I do? What do I, you know? And, and he's like sitting at the table. He looked lost. My son looked lost, and, and Doug knows him hardly. He just looked like... He got hit by a train, and he was just like, you know, I don't know what to do, Dad. I just, and he goes, they're just going through so much in their life at such a young age. And Hartley's only 22, and I'm looking at him going, dude, you, (laughs) yeah, you're 22, and you got a lot you're working through. Um, But here's, we're going through bouts of, of, you know, self-esteem issues and struggle and, and disappointment. And so what does that look like for us to care for young people we're going through different emotional scenarios each and every day. And they have highs right in the morning, good and up, let's say, or, or, you know, they have a great first period and things are going great. Lunchtime, someone bullies them and they're in the dumps, right? So what does it look like? How do you help others emotionally? And again, not just from an urban context, but from your particular vantage point in your particular ministry. So walking with them. Active listening. Presence, empathy, listening. Listening, being present, listening. Deep conversations, being available. Yeah, prayer, prayer, pray, pray, 
Pray with them. Prayer, prayer, active listening. You know, Henry Nouwen talks about the idea of being learning to be compassionate. And, and I don't know if you know Henry Nouwen, um, taught at Harvard, Yale, and uh, left it all behind. And he started L'Arche up in uh, actually just north of Toronto. You can go there for a spiritual retreat. And uh, he went to work with those who are, who are disabled or mentally handicapped. So the brilliant professor, Harvard, Yale, Oxford, and there he decides for years to start this community for those who are the most vulnerable in society. And he talks about, he talks about the idea of presence through people's emotional challenge. And he said, it's really hard because we want to fix people. We want to say the right words. But compassion, he said, the hardest thing about compassion is actually choosing to be present. And so a part of working, helping with those who are going through struggles and challenges is the idea of just being present, praying, listening, lots of, lots of things. Again, at the end of this, you put in your email, you'll get each other's response, and so we're learning from one another. The next piece of, of the Shema, if you will, that Jesus quotes is, Love the Lord your God with all your strength. All your st-. You get the picture of what's happening here? Jesus is actually beginning to unpack, of, unpack all of who we are. And so our whole being, so the idea of loving God with our whole heart, is your whole being is to express love for Him. And so how do we do that? It's now this one is, is the idea of strength. And so your icon there is very much about uh, physical. And we tend to do the physical piece as being, hey, this is a great way of outreach. You know, hey, we do ball. We do, uh, I don't know what else you guys do, ball. Is that fair to say, ball? Um, maybe because it's the cheapest one to do, right? Just get a basketball and a hoop and we're good to go. Um, but the idea here is strength is, is how are we helping young people figure out good habits and healthy habits for their life, okay? So what are you doing? Again, real quick, on the screen here, it should come up. What is it that you are doing to help people grow physically? How do you help others love God with all their strength? Example, who wrote that? Oh, there you go. (laughs) That's good. Nutrition. Talents. Eating disorder help. Workout. Workouts together. Stewardship. Talents. Wow. Modeling. Encouraging. Having dinner with them. Stewardship, encouragement. The next one that Jesus has. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. All your mind. As I said earlier, certain high percentage of certain demographics of, of youth in an urban setting uh, are not going to graduate high school. Um, but what does it look like to help our youth grow in their minds, to love God using their minds? So this one, I think, is a little bit of a different survey for you, or a different response. So I've given you the words there, and, and there might be others, but what are ways that you are helping youth or others grow using their mind? Is that just to scale how important that 
yeah, that's a scale of how, how important that is. And by the way, as you're filling that out, I did this with, I have three children and a son-in-law. Um, they're all in their 20s, 22, 24, and 26. I, uh, earlier in the week, just to make sure that this app worked and, and that type of thing, uh, I went through this with them. And it was amazing. The, the idea of Christian worldview was like way down here. They were like, oh, what is that? We don't even know what that is. To think Christianly, you know, to view all what we do through the lens of Scripture, to think, have a Christian worldview, they had that really low. And I'm like, why is that really low for you? They're all in their 20s, right? I said, why is that really low for you? They're like, we just never thought of it. We've never addressed it that way. We've never. And I go, wow, how are we helping young adults, how are we helping young people think Christianly, if you will, or biblically in a very secular world? And so loving God is using our minds. The education, vocation, we want people, we want to break the cycle of poverty. And so we know that it's very much about what? Education? You know, in Canada, what we say is the university degree is the new high school diploma. Right? I don't know if that's in your world. You know? One thing that I discovered in, in, in my research with my thesis, you know, you ever hear that phrase, hey, you know, give a person a fish? You feed them for a day, teach a person to fish, and what? Feed them for a lifetime. But here's what I discovered that's not true. It's not true for those who are at risk and those who are in an urban setting and those who are from a racial minority. You know why? It's because we, we put up fences around those ponds and we don't give them permission to fish. So we've taught them. We've given them the skill. And so one of the things that my help is you need to leverage who you are as a person to take a risk and open, unlock that fence so they can go fishing. And so there's many times where I've gone out on a limb with some of my at-risk youth, called in a favor, hey, dude, can you, can you hire this student for the summer? Can you, would you, they need a placement for school. Would you, would you, like, what a tremendous, so we need to use our sphere of influence to sometimes open the gate, unlock the gate, so they can go in and fish. And so that's one of the light bulb moments for me going, wow, I think I'm positioned a lot to, to I know a lot of different people. And sometimes it works out great. Other times I got to right up front just saying, hey, dude, this is a favor and, and I hope it goes well. Like, and I'm honest and, and up front. And, I, and most times they're like, okay, well, well, it's okay. We'll cross that bridge. If, but we need to give them the, that opportunity. And so most of you... Um, Right, vocation and education are pretty low. Um, holistic ministry, helping them, if you will, the backpack uh, that they are carrying and, and all the rocks of, of poverty, injustice, racial inequality, all of those deals, helping them take that rock out and placing it aside, I think are the bottom two, along with the others, but it's really wanting them to succeed in every area of their life. Really, really important. We have a refugee program uh, in Canada. Um, in three years, I think we're actually way outpacing you guys in the States. Um, this year, we're taking in 300,000 refugees into Canada um, from like Syria and Iraq and that type of thing. Next year, 350. Next year, 400,000. So in three years, over a million um, refugees coming. Um, they want educate. They have educated. Many of them are more educated than most of us. 
but they are struggling because they don't know the language and that type of thing. But how do we help them grow? And I think through these conversations, um, we're actually demonstrating to them how they can love God even more. The next slide. It's just locked here. The idea of loving the Lord your God with all your strength and loving your neighbor. So really there's six elements in this passage. One is, you know, the four about how my relationship with God. This one now is Jesus shifts it, right? Remember the emphasis? How do I love my neighbor? And so there's this outward focus. And this is one of the things that we discovered quite a bit and, and what the lady talked about last night and all those pictures in the Dominican Republic. And so those first picture was students, my role in, in the University of the University of Toronto. The second one is, is at, in that at-risk neighborhood, uh, high-priority neighborhood. Those are all students from a local high school uh, mixed in with some church kids. And we begin th- they have a deep desire to make a difference in the world. And so one of the things that we began to do is think through, and really it was born out of a high school principal who said to me, um, not a believer, she's just like, why do all your church kids get all these opportunities? And my, guy, my kids in my high school get nothing. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? She goes, well, every time I talk to some of your students, they're like in Dominican, they're on First Nations Reserve or Native American, First Nations Reserve. They're doing, How come my youth don't ever get that opportunity? And I'm like, I don't know. She goes, why don't you, and this was so cool, why don't you bring what you do in the Dominican Republic into my high school, and that's unheard of in Canada, into my high school and run that. And most of the students that we've seen come to faith and begin to track long-term with Jesus um, have come out of that high school ministry. And so all those pictures in the DR were saying, what does it look like for us to serve locally? And what does it look like for us to serve globally? And so these youth, most of them at risk, we end up in the Dominican Republic. The only challenge, the only struggle with is how do you walk that fine line of truly making a difference in another country? And then what does it look like for us as young people, as young adults, what is God going to do in their lives? It's really cool. I'm in the Dominican in a couple of weeks doing the four chairs in Santo Domingo and and in Badajona, a smaller community. And so we're trying to equip and and, and mobilize. So they want to engage. The largest study ever done in Canada on why young adults are leaving the church, the largest study ever done, and and it was quite a remarkable study, and here's what they discovered, is that they they basically, there's over 2,000 young people from evangelical homes, not just the church, from evangelical churches, why they were leaving. It's a great study on hemorrhaging faith, and you should get it because it actually mirrors a lot of what's happening in the States. But what they discovered was there's four categories of people. There was what's called the engagers, those who are engaging with their faith. Number two, the fence sitters, like in the middle, like I show up at church once in a while, I still identify as Christ, as a Christ follower. But yeah, and faith is important to me, but they're not as engaged as the engagers. And then there's the wanderers, they're like, yeah, I grew up in the church and I come from a Christian, and I'm just, just trying to figure life out and I'm not sure. And so there's a large... Uh, segment of the population were the uh, engaged uh, wanderers. And then there's the rejectors. And so what they did was they asked this question to the engagers, those who are fully engaged with their faith. What is it that kept you engaged? 
What kept you following Jesus when a lot of your peers, if you will, we heard some of the stats last night, a lot of the peers, your peers have left. Number one that kept them engaged was parents. Was parents. Family. Tells us a little bit about our family focus in our ministries. It isn't just the youth. How do we minister to the family? How do we help parents become good parents? And how do they help marriages stay strong? Number two was a mission or camp experience. That they said that they encountered God on trips like this, Dominican Republic, at a camp. I I, I shared this with a whole bunch of youth pastors and youth workers, and all the camp guys were like, yeah, I told you camp is important. They're all like, champion that. You know, can you tell us that again? I didn't miss that point. Because, and, and that's true, time away, right? Unplugging, un- leaving that behind. And so, really, really critical, the idea of getting others to serve. <laughs> I'm going to just go real quick here and, and end with this one, the idea of self. Loving yourself. I'm just going to get you to respond to this one because we're almost out of time. Here's this question. How do you help people care for themselves? Because the issue with self-care, you know, we talk about pride and ego and all of that. Put that aside for a second. That's not where we're going. What we're trying to do is help them understand how do you care for yourself? Self-esteem issues, um, self-image, character, relationships, purity, spiritual director and accountability and other, or Sabbath rest. Go ahead, just begin to slide those across as you see what's important. Clearly, we need to work on our Sabbath rest for ourselves. (laughs) I just want to end it with this. John 10.10. We're called to make disciples. Jesus is our model, helping young people, if you will, go from chair one to chair four, from unbelief to maturity, recognizing when they come to faith, or even if they're still in chair one, they're dealing with a whole whack of issues in their life. Like we, you and I, have a whole whack of issues in our life. And so we're saying holistic mission, integral mission, is saying that we care for the whole person, and we're going to help them through different stages, through different challenges. And so what does that look like? Because it, I think for too long we've just said, come to Jesus and you're going to heaven. And in reality, you know, the early church, that was a form of Gnosticism, which was stated what? That earthly matter, physical was evil, the spiritual was good, right? And in reality, Jesus is wanting us to fully embrace him and love him in a way that is holistic in focus. And so John 10.10, I don't know if we believe that fully. I don't know if we embrace that, that Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. That is the shalom of God. That is, that is the purpose, the meaning, and, and all that God has for someone. And so I believe a part of a disciple-making process for those students who are at risk in an urban or a rural setting is this idea of helping them grow in all facets of their life, in their love for God, their love for others, and their love for self. And Colossians 1.20 talks about that all things, Jesus says, or Paul says, all, thing, all, thing, all things are going to be what? Are gonna, pardon? 
Made new. Yes. Yes. Okay. All, and I keep going back, all things. That Jesus, all things are going to come under submission. Hmm. All, it doesn't say some things, just they're spiritual. All things. And so as you love on teenagers, as you seek to uh, encourage them in their walk with Jesus, great passage here about loving God and loving others. Thank you, guys. If you, I think at the end, I may have to put up the last slide, and it gives you, it gives you the ability to, if you want the results, you can pop in your email, and it will give that to you. But we're done in terms of timing. We've got about 10 minutes for questions. Oh, we have 10 minutes still. Oh, it's 9. Th- I thought we were done at 15, so I rushed through that last part. Any questions at this point? Yes, sir. Um, so I, I've, I've heard this, in at least in my context. I've got probably a lot of nicks of what I would say are at risk. And, I mean, how do, you, how do you minister and disciple? And so the question... You can rephrase the question for each... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to do that. So, so how do we work with young people, deal with young people who push us away a little bit because they're at risk. And you've heard also here at the Disciple Making Forum that we're to invest in the few, right? I think you said the fourth soil. So if I look at the four chairs and understanding the four chairs, um, and you look at Mark 4, it's a beautiful passage there where Jesus teaches the masses, and then he says to his disciples what? Hey, guys, come here. Let me explain to you what I just talked about. And then later on in Mark 4, he says the same thing. He's teaching the crowd, and then he pulls his disciples together. Hey, guys, let me tell you a little bit about what happens. Later on that day, it says that Jesus says, hey, we're not done. Hey, let's go to the, gets to the lake, right? Sea of Galilee, and what does he do? Hey, guys, there's someone on the other side who needs help. Let's get in a boat and go to the other side. And the demoniac is there, and he releases him. And we heard Dan talk about that yesterday. And he releases... The, the evil spirit from that man, the spirits from that man, and, and then they come home, and wow, that's, all, that's a pretty busy day. So he teaches the crowds, spends time with a few to impact the people. I still believe, chair three, chair four is, that Jesus invites us to invest in the few to impact the many. And so in my mind, if the at-risk youth do not join or, or uh, they do not join my ministry team, and I think Joel's talking about that next, that's okay. That's absolutely okay. I'm still called to model Jesus, to invest in a few to impact the many. I'm going to equip them, peer-to-peer, and youth leaders, I'm going to equip them and, and engage them in that conversation. Hey, how do we help love and encourage these young people to, to move from chair two to chair three or chair one to chair two? So investing in the few to impact this larger group. I would also say this from experience, how does a white guy like me 50-something years old, get to hang out with some of the coolest, in my mind, some of the coolest young adults on the planet. And, like, why? I have black youth saying to me, Cal, you're my dad. Because you taught me to shave one day at camp. No one ever taught me to shave. And I'm like, I remember I was shaving. He's like, comes up and, and, uh, hey, can you teach me to shave? I'm like, at first I was like, no one ever taught him that. And it clued in. Just simple, basic life skill. And so I feel like when you're real and authentic and just love on and treat everyone, this, like, that's okay. And, and I think that wins the day. I really do. Um, and I feel like, because people say to Cal, you get away with a lot of stuff. 
And, and what they mean by that is, is that you actually have an engagement with a lot of different people. And, and it doesn't, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of that. And I don't know if it's because I was a kid growing up in, a, in government housing my whole life and I just can relate or identify with. But it's a great question, but I still believe it's investing in the few to impact the many. Look at Mark 4. So uh, I like what you had to say about the ball ministry and, and being strategic and how you place your time. How do you, what are some of the on-ramps? So what are the on-ramps? Of, let me just say two things about that. One being we often use sports as a means to do outreach, which is awesome. This here idea is how do we just help those students that we're already working with create an environment or create a lifestyle that where they're physically active. They're not just on their phones or on their screens. And how do we help them create a, a, a balance between rest and nutrition? And, and so that's that focus. But the on-ramps for us, our number one working with is actually serving other people. So when we go to the local high school, so we don't do uh, the Dominican Republic. We stopped that two years ago with our high school students um, from the particular high school. They're, those students are still coming. Just the, the baptism just happened in the springtime, those baptisms. Um, so the, the high school, what we've done is, because we just can't raise the funds. We need a church or a ministry to come alongside us to invest in what we're doing. And it's just been real tough because we're in an at-risk high priority neighborhood so what we've done is we've called it uh doxa serve that's our ministry doxa with youth unlimited and we just say what does it look like to serve locally so every month we're somewhere in the city and serving and non-christians and at-risk students they show and so it's all about hey and we have conversations through that serving that is one of our biggest on-ramps that we feel we're truly impacting young people is that we're actually others focused so that's that's one. We do have the sports thing. We have a um, a youth gathering every month. Uh, that's what we do. Yeah. 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 So so the question is how to how do we minister to our adult volunteers? To get them on the same page. Yeah. Let me just say first of all, this is really difficult when you're working with at-risk youth. Because our church families and our church structures have a hard time with it. Especially, you know, we had one kid break a lady's hip. Uh, she was 87. He was on a skateboard in the gym and he fell and he shot the skateboard out. And the lady was walking by and she fell, hit the skateboard. She fell, broke her hip. And I didn't realize, so I just went and closed the door. And she was out in the hallway dying, almost dying. You know, and... I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, right? You're like, you're so mean, <laughs> Kelvin. Uh, but uh, the ambulances came, and we were playing ball. We were doing all this stuff. And then afterwards, I came out, and I said, hey, what's, what, what's the big commotion going on? And uh, then I understood that this kid, his name was Boo, um, literally took this lady out and um, literally took her out. And so, but the church came back to me, and one of the, you know, you got lawsuits, you got all this stuff going on. And uh, the husband came to me and just said, you keep reaching those students. You keep reaching them. And to me, that was a testimony to his love of teenagers, his love of the gospel. And then he went off to the hospital with his wife. And so they didn't, a lot of church people didn't get it. Like, let's just keep them separate. Let's, you know, even church families kept kids home um, because they were like, it just feels really weird. So there's a lot of pushback sometimes. Um, But I'm just unapologetic and just saying no. When your kids go to high school, they're mixing with everybody. So go, it's okay to have the youth group mixed. 
with the yet to go back into, back to your question, how do we engage the youth leaders? I, you know, on my ministry teams, investing in youth, inviting them to be a part of it, and and seeking to to do it that way. And I also had leaders meetings every every month uh, for those volunteers. They have to feel cared for, but it's doing life with them. So it isn't just hey, I'm teaching you to do a. Jo-. It's just in, involved in their life. I think actually is really significant and important. Yeah, Barbara. Quick follow-up question. Um, do you have a written resource that kind of embodies some of your vision for holistic? I might have missed that. I know. My thesis? It's like thesis. <laughs> have we published that yet? It is published. So if you go to Acadia University, it should be in the, in the archives. Okay, you might be the first person to sign it out. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm asking. Like, uh, to distribute this more widely, I mean, it's, it's Jesus' teaching, but how do we you know, take it? Sure. That's the answer. Um, the, the published work is if you look at uh, Fernando Arzola Jr.'s Toward a Prophetic Youth Ministry. So there's uh, eight, ten pages in there on this concept. So I've just taken it and expanded what they've done. That's why I've given credit to Arzola and the Bronx guys up there, the Latino network that's figured this out. So he's written on it that's actually published. So... Mine's just a thesis in a library that I don't know if anyone's ever signed out. So, You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a delight for me to share my heart with you and my passion for disciple-making and that it's really for, for everyone. And, and that's why I love the model of Jesus. It isn't just like for the youth or the, my age. And, and everybody gets to do this. Seniors, uh, you know, um, following in the ways of Jesus, uh, making disciples. God bless you as you serve. And I think that's it. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. That message was from the Sun Life track called Transforming the Culture of Youth Ministry at the National Disciple Making Forum. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources like this podcast at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.